This is One Oak Church. We exist to share the hope of Jesus. No matter who you are or where you're at in life, you are welcome. Our mission is simple, to bring people that are far from God close to Him. Tune in as Pastor Robbie Emery shares how we change the world by loving God and loving others. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. Not just something to read, but something to use. In our friendships, in our families, in our finances, this word is youthful. So I want to teach you the two most important Christian disciplines. One is prayer. That's why we talk about prayer every Sunday. That's why TJ gets up and mentions that if we're going to be anything as a church, we're going to be a church that prays. And then the other most important Christian principle or discipline is daily Bible reading. As we've been doing every week, I thought we would get a kick out of these church signs being from Michigan. Check out this one. This is a funny church sign. If you are the one who keeps praying for snow, please stop. Please stop. My kids are the ones who pray for snow. If you want to know why you have snow in your yard in May, my kids prayed it in. And then finally this one. Um, God, God's love is deeper than this snow. And uh, apparently there must be snow on the lake back here because that's just Michigan grass in the winter, right? It's just brown. But I want to share something today about the conflicts our generation has, that this deluge of influence about the validity of the Bible, stories to refute the scriptures are, are said to be based on truth. We hear comments and stories and ideas about refuting the holy scriptures. And they say it's based on truth, but it's really founded on lies. I believe it's the attack of the enemy. I believe the enemy is attacking the strength of the word of God in our lives to get us to doubt or to even question the word of God. Let me show you that this plan, this mode has been the enemy's idea from the beginning. He's always wanted to get us to question the word of God. Always. And I'm talking from the beginning. You want me to show you? Yes, we do, Pastor. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to preach to myself today. I would love for you to help, though. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Question mark. Don't you know that the mark of the beast is not 666, but a question mark? That's the mark of the beast. If he can get you to question the authority of God, if he can get you to question the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, it your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. From the beginning, the enemy has been trying to get mankind to question the word of God. Because if he can get you to question God's word, then you'll start questioning God's way. I'm going to help you today. I'm going to let you know why the Bible can be trusted. Matthew 24, 35. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will never pass away. Spiritual experiences will shift. Heaven. Spiritual experiences will shift. Churches will change throughout time. Earth will pass away. Our culture will change. Things are different in 2017 than they were in 2005 even. You go back to 1978 when I was born. Culture shifts. Styles shift. Things change. Culture is always shifting. But the word of God will never pass away. It'll never die. It'll never return void. I'm going to give you some apologetics today. Now, I'm not a good apologist. I do have some skill sets in ministry. Apologists or apologetics is not one of them. I lean on others. But I'm going to give you some information today. I'm going to give you seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. You're like, come on, this is good. I can, I can chew on this a little bit. One, it's historically accurate. This speaks to show to, uh, to uh, those who say the Bible has great principles, but the stories are made up. That Noah and the flood thing, I don't really get. Jonah and the whale, the big fish, I'm not, I'm not really sure about that. Good stories. But the Bible is not only a good book to live by, but it's historically accurate. Psalms 33 and 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. All historians will tell you that for something to be historically accurate, it has to go to three tests. All historians will tell you, three tests. One, it has to have eyewitness accounts. For it to be historically accurate, it has to be eyewitness accounts. No hearsay stories. The Bible was written by people who were actually there. The four Gospels were written by guys who were actually there. They were actually witnessing the acts of Christ, the miracles of Christ as they happened. They wrote about it. Four different people separately wrote from an eyewitness account. Moses didn't just talk about the Red Sea being parted. He was there, and he wrote about it. And the, it, number two, it's recorded and copied with extreme care. Eyewitness account recorded and copied with extreme care. This is why I believe God entrusted some of the most meticulous people on the planet to handle the responsibility of recording and copying the Holy Scriptures. The Jewish nations, the scribes, had a standard that no other nation had in recording history. No other nation had the same protocol, the same plan to record history. The Jewish nation did, though. Their scribes had this plan. They didn't transcribe every word. They transcribed every letter. When they're putting together the Holy Scriptures, it wasn't word for word. It was letter for letter. And so when they translate it, they would know in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of law, they would know what the middle letter was, Aaron. And so they would count from the beginning, and they would count from the end, and get to that middle letter. And if they were off by one, they wouldn't start over. They would throw it out. 
because it had to be exact. Now, I don't know about you, but my wife, when she goes shopping, if something is $29.99, she tells me she paid $20 for it. Now, when I get the statement back, it wasn't $20, it was $30 because I round up. But that is not how they pinned the Bible. They didn't round down. They didn't even round up. If it didn't match, we're throwing it out. That's your word. That's the word of God. Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach today. The whole myth of that it's been changed is absolutely not true. In fact, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1940, don't you know that every letter was right? Every letter was exact? It matched. Number two, number two is recorded and copied with extreme care. Number three, archaeological confirmation. This is how historians prove that something is true. Three is archaeological confirmation. They're still excavating areas where scripture is being unfolded. They're still discovering things. In fact, one of the debatable Civilizations is the Hittite civilization. Even Christians were a little unsure about this. But it wasn't until the 1900s, not too long ago, that they actually discovered proof that the Hittite nation existed, that our scriptures talk about. They discovered it. Oh, it's real. It's there. Number two. It's historically accurate. Number two, it's scientifically accurate. Because God is the God of the universe, he created the laws of the universe. Science doesn't contradict the Bible, but confirms God's word. I'm good with science. Truth stays the same, but science evolves. Am I right? I'm so right. Because... <laughs> Because bring out your third grade science book today. They can't use that because science evolves. It changes. But the word of God stays the same. This right here. This is why we're here today. Man, I love this. I told TJ I was fired up to preach today. <clears throat> That's why I wore this jacket. <laughs> Psalms 148 verse 5. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command, and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Science changes. But you don't have to update the Bible. I'm telling you what, one of the most trying things for me is updating software on my computer and on my phone. But I do it, right? We update the software, right? Because we realize if we don't update it, everything that we use on our phone won't work anymore because we've not updated the operating system. I'm so glad I don't have to update this. I, it's never been updated. 
We don't have to update the word of God. The Bible is not a science book. So it doesn't give a lot of science language. But what is interesting, it's still accurate scientifically. In 1861, uh, French Academy of Science wrote this. 51 uncontrovertible scientific facts that prove the Bible is wrong. Since the publishing of that, all the facts have been converted to disprove their proof. Not only is the Bible what it says great, but more interesting to me is what the Bible doesn't say concerning science. We know that during the Bible days, there was a, a science in the day of writing the Bible. There was a science. There's this idea of what science is. If there was third grade science, then there was a science in the Bible days. But the Bible doesn't confirm the science of that day. It doesn't. Because if it confirmed the science of that day, then it would have to be confirmed 2017. It doesn't confirm the science of that day. No, it confirms science that affects even 2017. Watch this. All the things that were widely accepted during the Bible writing years, none of those show up in the Bible. For example, the earth was flat. It wasn't until Copernicus, Galileo, and Columbus in 1942, just a few hundred years ago, that we learned, or 1492, that we learned, I don't think the earth is really flat. I think it's round. If they just look in the Bible 2,600 years earlier, they would have read in Isaiah 40:22, which it says he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That word circle is where we get our word sphere. It's where you get the word globe. Come on, somebody. We could have saved them a lot of time, 1492 and in 1942. I don't want to hear your conspiracy theories, folks. I'm the train of the Word of God. Don't bring that stuff to me. I don't care. Another common belief during the writing of the Bible is that the earth was held up. The Greeks believed it was held up by a guy named Atlas. You see him on the, kind of looks like Mike Blasik, he's all strong. The Hindus believed during the writing of the Bible that the earth sat on the back of an elephant, which stood on the back of a sea turtle, which stood on the back of a serpent that went along the sea. The brilliant Egyptians, the masterminds, the great engineers and architects, they believed the earth stood on five pillars. The oldest book in the Bible, it's not in the Bible as the first book, but the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. The book of Job says this. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. How did Job know this? God had to tell him. God had to let Job know this. Believe during the writing of the Bible that the number of stars could be counted. Hipparchus in 150 BC counted the stars. He counted... 1,022 stars. Ptolemy came just a few years later, 300 years later. He's still considered one of the greatest uh, astronomers of all time. He came back and said, you've got it wrong. You missed four. There's 1,026 stars. 
Folks, they're still finding stars. They're finding planets. Come on, somebody. If they would have read 2,600 years ago in Jeremiah, they would have read this. And as the stars of the sky cannot be what? Counted. All right, there you go. If you look at the medical science that was prevalent in those days, crazy things. There was a guy, he came up with what's called humoralism. He is the father of medicine, some would say. He believed that there was four things that created disease. Black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. Four things created disease. That, that was the makeup of the human body. And so if you became sick, they're like, oh, you got too much blood. And so what they would start doing is they, they would blood, do bloodletting. And so they would cut you because we got to get out that bad blood. That was the science of the day. Our first president, George Washington, was died from bloodletting. After the third time of that happening, he died. Now, don't you know we don't do that today? When you're sick, we give you blood. We don't take it away. It's called a transfusion. But if they would have read in the word of God, in Leviticus 17 and 11, for the life of the body is in its blood. This is the word of God. Come on, folks. Even in the Middle Ages, the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague, it killed one out of four people. 25% of Europe died by one disease because they had no concept of, of contagion. They didn't know germs could be spread from one person to the other. They had no clue it happened that way. Again, they should have read Leviticus 13 and 4. The priest will quarantine the person for seven days. If you'll stay away, you won't get sick. Get that person away from you, you'll be okay. It's in the Bible. It's been there this whole time. Why? Because man didn't write it. God did. Psalms 12 and 6, and the word of the Lord are flawless. He woke up like that. Flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Flawless. This is flawless, folks. Am I preaching okay today? I'm loving this. Number three, it's prophetically accurate. Now, this one would be a great risk if a man wrote it. For all these people to put inside of it these things that have, have to happen in the future, to be foretold, the things have to be foretold, they have to come true. Because if any of the prophecies doesn't happen, then you, you have to throw the whole thing out. There are more than 1,000 prophecies in Scripture. There are over 300 for Jesus alone, just Jesus. The last prophecy was given 400 years before Jesus. That would be like people coming over on the Mayflower and talking about us today. There'd be a guy in Royal Oak, Michigan who's going to start a church in 2017, preaching June 25th. He's going to be wearing skinny jeans and a green jacket. That would be like that, but before 400 years before, it wasn't that he's going to be awesome. It wasn't just that. It was detailed about Jesus. 
such a long time ago. No person at all. They, they gave detailed prophecies about Jesus, over 300 of them. Where'd he be born? Where'd he grow up? That he would flee Egypt, that he'd ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. This one blows my mind. The psalmist David prophesied of Jesus, and he prophesied that he would die, that he would die of crucifixion. Crucifixion didn't exist when David wrote that. There was no idea of crucifixion. It wasn't around that time. The Romans created crucifixion. It wasn't in the time of David. That blows my mind. Jesus would be crucified. David wrote about it before Jesus ever came along, before crucifixion was ever invented. It had to be God. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner. You go study it. Dr. Peter Stoner did an entire study called Science Speaks. He had 600 researchers, probability experts. How many know what you know what prob- probability is, right? You get a, just for example, if you get a bucket and you fill it with tennis balls, 10 tennis balls, 10 white tennis balls, you mark one of them red, you blindfold somebody, he reaches in to grab that one red tennis ball, he has a one out of 10 chance to get that. That's the probability. He goes on to talk about the prophecies of Christ and what it would take to fulfill those prophecies. So he did a study of probability to be that one person could see the fulfillment of all these prophecies. He found out that just for eight of them to be fulfilled, picked eight specific ones, one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one and 10 to the 17th power. That's this number right here. Let me, let me give you a picture of it. We lived in Texas. It would be like taking silver dollars and spreading them all over the state of Texas. It takes like 14 hours to get from one end to the other. It's a big state. No trees at all, but a big state. Silver dollars, and they would come about two feet deep in the state of Texas. And then flying someone in a helicopter, picking up a guy in Oklahoma, flying him in a helicopter and telling him, hey, we've marked one silver coin, red. We've blindfolded you. Now when we get near it, let us know. And then him reach down into the bunch of them and grab him. That's the probability of just eight prophecies. this. He goes on to do a greater study. I think the next number, what is that? What we have? The next number of one person filling 16 prophecies would be 10 to 45th power. Just the next one to do, how many prophecies? 48 prophecies, one and that's molecular at that point. Unbelievable. I, I think it's, it, it takes more faith to not believe it than it does too. You got greater faith in me than you do not believe it. Man. 2 Peter 1, 21. How'd this happen? How's it possible? For, for, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 26. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. 
There are few prophecies yet to be fulfilled. They're laid out in Revelation. You don't want to be on the wrong side of those, folks. Revelation 22 and 6 says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets and his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is our word. It's true. It's right. Number four, it's thematically unified. The Bible wasn't written by one person. I told you that. You would think it would be unified if it was written by one person. No, but it was penned by 40 different men. One author, and that's God. 12 different countries, 13 different continents, in the span of 1,600 years. But yet it's thematically unified. Why? How'd that happen? Jesus said this in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, that was their Bible. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's thematically unified. Jesus saying, this right here, it's all about me. The first five books Moses talked about, all about me. The prophets are talking about me. That's what it's about. All the books were about Jesus. He's in every book. Go read your Bible. This is funny, but it's true. It's like, where's Waldo? If you'll look hard enough, you'll find him. He's in Leviticus. Let me give you a resource. I want you to get this book if you can. Henrietta Mears is her name. She wrote, Henrietta Mears, she wrote a book, What the Bible is All About. At the beginning of her explanation of each book, she says, and here's where you find Jesus in this book. She explains the Bible, simplifies it. Here's where you can find Jesus in Numbers. What the Bible is all about. Number five, it is trusted by Jesus. I hear people say that I love Jesus and I love his teachings. I just don't get the whole Bible. You can't trust Jesus without trusting the rest of the Bible can't just trust Jesus without trusting the word of God. Matthew 5, 18, for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus trusted the whole Bible. You may, well, I don't understand it. And so I can't trust it. I don't understand digestion, but I'm pretty sure gonna eat after church today. If something's going to change, don't change the Bible to fit you. You change to fit the Bible. Now, you guys know I'm not a toe-stepping-on preacher. I love being happy. I love grace. That's what I preach. I want to preach that, and I want to preach the love, but I want to share this with you. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe in what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust, but yourself. That's a good quote. I don't care if you get quiet on me. 
The Bible is way more reliable than our minds. I'm not trusting me. I'm going to trust this. I'm going to trust the word of God. Because I can barely make up my mind where I want to go eat this afternoon. And so I'm not going to trust myself. I'm going to trust the word of God. I'm going to trust something that stood this test of time. I'm going to trust something that's been around a lot longer than I have. I'm going to trust it. Number six, it it has survived all attacks. Come on. Have you ever wondered why this gets attacked so much? Because it's right. It gets attacked from all sides. The word of God. Why is it getting attacked in the first place? Why are other ones not getting attacked? Have you ever noticed the attack on Christianity? It's like none other. I believe the enemy wants to keep you from the word of God. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. Yet it still endures. It's the number one best-selling book every week. You can't destroy this. You can't deny it. You can't delude it. You can't, no. It endures. I'm sorry I'm passionate today. No, I'm not. I'm okay with it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. That's why I'm passionate about it. It endures. Nobody's been able to stop God's word. It endures. Read this verse with me aloud. I didn't say it's soft. Read it aloud. Read it. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Come on, church. Clap your hands for that. Culture changes, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. It was here before you were, and it's going to be here after you're gone. That's the word of God. Not hiding it. One of the smartest guys to ever live, French philosopher, still known as one of the smartest guys to ever live, French philosopher named Voltaire, right? You ever heard of this guy? You heard of Voltaire? Genius guy. Noted for saying that within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. (laughs) The only thing forgotten is that quote. After Voltaire died, his home became the place of the French Bible Society. Come on, God's God's got a sense of humor. Let's go, God. I think everyone in this room needs to decide what's going to be your final authority in your life. The word or the world? The word or the world? Uh, What's the authority in my life? Am I living by it? Am I going to learn from it? Love it? Live it? What is it going to be? It's my final authority. There may be times that I may not agree with God's word. I'm going to trust God, though. I'm going to trust his word and submit to his authority. 
Let's be real. This last proof, number seven, you can actually test. Listen, if you'll give one oak, if you'll give this church, this body, if you'll give it one year, one year of your life as an experiment, I know you'll be forever changed. We got a, a note not too long ago just said, hey, I want to let you know that this church, just being here has changed my marriage. I, I've never, we've been going to church all of our life, and my husband would come every now and then, and I've never seen him worship in church. But last Sunday, he lifted his hands for the first time on his own and not because someone asked him to do it. I responded back. I saw this person in the hallway. I said, wow, I love your note. She said, thank you so much. And I just said, don't thank me. I just, just pointed you to Jesus, just directed you to him. If you'll just submit, if you'll just give, if you'll just try it. If you'll give God 15 minutes a day, I know you'll be changed. We've got 15 minutes. We drive 15 minutes a day. If you'll worship five of those minutes, if you're doing it in your car, don't read. But if you'll listen to the word of God for five minutes, you'll pray five minutes. I promise you'll be changed and those closest to you will be changed. You'll be impacted. I believe that. So number seven, is that the word of God has transforming power. It'll change your life. John 8, 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Let me just tell you today, some of you just need to grab hold of it. Tightly. Just pull it in. Pull the word of God into your life. Grab hold. We hold on to a lot of things tight. But hold the word of God tight. Hold it, hold it close. Hold on to my words tightly. There you are, my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? I'm ready to be free, Pastor Robbie. I'm ready to be free from things that I've been bound to and connected to. I'm telling you, if you'll hold this tightly, you'll hold the word of God tightly, you will be set free. You will be made new. Hold on, and you'll be set free. If you're going to, Give the word of God its rightful place in your life. I just want you to pray with me this morning. Every head bowed. I just want to pray over you, and then we're going to do something together. God, your, your word is true. It's accurate. It's flawless, and we trust your word this morning, Lord. We give it the final authority in our lives and in every way. We're going to learn it. We're going to love it. We're going to live it. We're making room in our hearts right now in this moment for the truth of your word. Today, if you'll make that commitment to hold on to him. Today, if you'll make that commitment to hold on to the words of God. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, maybe you're here this morning and you've heard about the word of God, which the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that is Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him this morning, let me encourage you today. Today's the day. Start today. We just broke down the word of God apologetically. The word is true. The word is right. 
Jesus wants to come and abide in you. Today, if you want to be set free, today, if you want to make a commitment to him, I've never made that commitment, Pastor. Or maybe for you, it's been a long time. You want to say today, when I count to three, just slip your hand in the air and drop it right back down. And we'll pray together. If that's you today, you want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe it's your first time or it's been a long time. Throw your hand up today when I count to three. One, two, three. Come on, throw your hand up. Throw your hand up. Throw your hand up. I see you. I see you. Drop it right back down. Wow. Drop it right back down. All over this room. Just pray with this. Pray with me. Say this aloud with me. Heavenly Father, I realize today that I'm nothing without you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. I hold on to it today. Today, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Today, I hold on to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on, clap your hands. It's all right.